0: Patients first. You hear it a lot in healthcare, but you don't always see it. That's where physician associates come in. PAs go the extra mile to make you the priority, using their medical training and expertise to address your specific health needs and taking the time to listen, explain, and follow up. Every day, physician associates go beyond to ensure that you receive the care you deserve. See how they're redefining healthcare at PAsGoBeyond.com.
1: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: Prague Watch: Music that tells a story with your friend and host, Big Tony Rausick, aka Prague Squatch.
0: Patients first. You hear it a lot in healthcare, but you don't always see it. That's where physician associates come in. PAs go the extra mile to make you the priority, using their medical training and expertise to address your specific health needs and taking the time to listen, explain, and follow up. Every day, physician associates go beyond to ensure that you receive the care you deserve. See how they're redefining healthcare at PAsGoBeyond.com.
1: No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Welcome back to Prog Watch, my friends. This is Big Tony, your host, and I thank you for tuning in once again. I've got a great program lined up for you this week. Rock legend Dennis DeYoung, formerly of Styx, is my special guest. And Dennis and I will be chatting about all sorts of things. Indeed, we had a very lively and lengthy conversation which covered everything from his early days with Sticks to his solo career, to the current state of the music industry, and the role of the media in the world today. Before I begin, though, a big thank you to my new and ongoing supporters. Without you, I couldn't continue to make this show. If you enjoy Prague Watch and you want to help me keep making it, you should consider supporting the show on Patreon.com. You can find me there under Anthony Rausick, or you can go to progwatch.com and click on the Support the Show link, which will automatically redirect you to the Patreon page. Also, a big thank you to those who took the time to rate the show highly and write a short review on iTunes. Your ratings do help others find the show, and I love hearing from you. So now let's get things going with Dennis DeYoung. We'll start things off with a couple of songs from the first two Styx albums back in 1972 and 1973. From the first self-titled album, we'll hear a song called What Has Come Between Us. And from Styx 2, the following year, Lady, the band's first U.S. Top 10 hit. By the way, for anyone keeping score, Dennis penned seven of the band's eight Top 10 hits.
4: Looking at their dreams, smiles upon their faces. Tell me what they see. Look at all the people. Have they gone astray? Living for tomorrow with dreams of yesterday.
5: Lovely lady. Child were your mind doesn't make it so unreal Lovely lady feel so insecure when you give all yourself
4: How can you be sure? What has come between us? What has made us say Childhood's forgotten? Yet it's hiding in the past What has come between us Is something in our says Lines upon our faces Saying no more time for rest Lovely lady Tell me what you feel As a child, were you mild? Cause it made you so
5: What do you give?
4: What you think?
2: Again, that was What Has Come Between Us from the first Styx album in 1972 and Lady from Styx 2 in 1973. Now let's hear a little of my chat with Dennis DeYoung. All right, so it's a real pleasure and an honor to have you on my program. Obviously, um, yeah, I've been digging your music since I was like 9 or 10. I heard Lady Lorelai on the radio back in the mid-70s. So yeah, you've been in my life for quite a while. Uh,
3: Well... That, would, that was me hiding under your bed when you were 11. You were scared. That was me.
2: <laughs> so, uh, I always like to ask artists how they got into music. I understand you're pretty much a self-taught musician. Um, did you come from a musical family?
3: Do you know how to um, uh, add things to Wikipedia? Yes. Will you go on that site and take down that bullshit <laughs> about being a musician. Okay. Because... I- I have to answer that question in almost every interview. Whoever put that up, I would like to—I'd like to hit him with a stock filled with horse manure.
2: I'll see if I can get a change done. Actually, yeah.
3: Yeah. Here's what happened. I'm self-taught on the piano, but I took accordion lessons from the age of seven, and I read music. I have a degree. I was a music teacher, uh, you know, before I I got a a contract. So, yeah, I had to teach myself how to play the piano after playing the accordion for God knows how many years. Taking lessons for almost seven or eight years. So, no, I'm not self-taught except, you know, on the piano. Because, as you know, the accordion doesn't, you don't use your thumb. So I had to teach myself how to use my thumb. But there it is.
2: And the left hand, pretty much, huh? Everything you learned on the left.
3: Oh, it's still, listen, I am not a pianist. I just uh, I play one on TV, but mm-hmm. in real life, you know, I, I I'm a guy who writes songs on the piano and accompanies himself. But beyond that, if you hired me to play in, in, in the Holiday Inn lounge, I'd be a disaster.
2: You can play what you write, more or less.
3: Yeah, that's it. And and of course, I can I can I can go wild on all that stuff when asked. But beyond that. For instance, if you asked me to play an hour's with the music on the accordion, I still could. Isn't that something? But that's you know that's because I learned. I didn't get my first piano till I was 27 years old.
2: All right, that's interesting to know. So uh, you were with the Pinozo brothers way before that, right? You uh, you hooked up with them in your teens.
3: I was 14. And they were 12, and uh, they lived like a, I can't say but 100 maybe. Can't be more than 200 feet from me, across the you know on a, a caddy quarter as they say from my house. So uh, yeah, we were uh, three kids, just you know, three kids trying to make our you know make our, our parents happy and proud of us. That's all we were. I played accordion, Chuck uh, electric guitar, and John drums. We played our parents' music. It was 1962, and rock bands really hadn't been invented yet for all intents purposes. That would happen two years later when the Beatles appeared on Ed Sullivan seemingly from heaven, and we all said, well, that looks like a good job. Let's have that one. So that's when we really started playing rock music, around 1964 and 65. But before that, we were just playing uh, the standards, playing weddings and anniversaries and parties and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, but that had to lead to a great camaraderie and uh, almost like a brotherhood, huh?
3: Yeah, they were twins. In case you didn't know that. And so I was—I had a sister, but I never had a brother. And I like to think of us as about as close as I could to have didn't have a brother. We were together a very, very long time, and we were the nucleus, which is why they selected three locomotives on the um, a cover of the album. Because I think the foundation was the three of us. We got gigs because we were teasers. We knew what to play to make people like us, and then every guitar player who ever joined joined the band who already had gigs. And really, all of them—JC, JY, Tommy—all of them. Uh, Tom Narden, you know, they were all joining the band who was already playing.
2: Hmm. So, uh, yeah, you mentioned before that you were a music teacher, and I bet a lot of people don't really know that. Um, have you ever wondered what your life would have been like if you had uh, if Sticks didn't make it and you stayed a teacher?
3: Yeah, we wouldn't be talking, would we?
2: <laughs> well, maybe yeah probably not but
3: <laughs> yeah probably not uh, I think um, I think about that a lot I thought about that a lot my whole life to be honest with you um it was <clears throat> you know I had a wife and I had a daughter before I had a record contract so my whole view of being a rock musician was colored by the fact that I had responsibilities to people. Mm -hmm. Nobody else in the band was married when we first started together. And no one really had a a kid, had had a child through the whole heyday of it. Just me. And I ended up having two. So, you know, do you have children?
2: Yeah, I had four.
3: (laughs) And then, well, you know your life changes.
2: Absolutely. It's not
3: all about you anymore, Tony, you big egotistical maniac. Yeah. It has to be about somebody else. And if you don't have them, there's no way. You can explain that to anybody, can you? you You're cannot, right.
2: You're okay? right about that. And the
3: first time you saw your first one, you went, uh-oh. <laughs> this is serious.
2: Yeah, but I like to think that my heart grew like the Grinch on that day. Uh, I didn't really think I knew how, to, how much I could love somebody.
3: That's right. And if you don't have that in your life, you can't understand the other guy, the other gal. So that was me. I was an outlier in the band. And I was older than everyone by at least two years. Um, and by, you know, when Tommy uh, joined, that was seven years older than him. So I was like, uh, I was like, you know, that guy. The grown-up. Uh, yes, sir. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, you got to be a grown-up you have responsibilities. And uh, so, um, you know, I was the ambitious one. I was the the uh, the the annoying, pushy, uh, needy, ambitious one that 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 drove um, the TW4 and 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 the sticks engine because I really had to be successful. I mean, I was I was possessed.
2: Oh, well, it worked.
3: <laughs> I look around this house I'm living in, and I think I'm going to agree with you.
2: All right. That's a good.
3: Uh, I, I finally moved out. I finally moved out of the YMCA.
2: <laughs> Let's continue on in my coverage of Dennis DeYoung with a couple more great Styx tunes from the band's early years. First up, "Sweet Madam Blue" from the Equinox album, which I will immediately follow with "The Grand Illusion," title track of the band's fabulous 1977 release.
5: I'll pay For you from your lips and the world turn around. But somehow you've changed, you're so far away. I long for the past and dream of the days with you. Blue
2: Once again, that was Sweet Madam Blue by Styx from their 1975 album Equinox, and then The Grand Illusion from their 1977 album of the same name. Stay tuned through the break for more great music and chat with my special guest, Dennis DeYoung. The vinyl may be gone. The album art may be a JPEG. Radio lives on forever.
0: Patients first. You hear it a lot in healthcare, but you don't always see it. That's where physician associates come in. PAs go the extra mile to make you the priority, using their medical training and expertise to address your specific health needs and taking the time to listen, explain, and follow up. Every day, physician associates go beyond to ensure that you receive the care you deserve. See how they're redefining healthcare at PAsGoBeyond.com.
2: Before we get into more of my chat with Dennis DeYoung, let's do a couple of more Sticks tunes from the band's first decade. From the album Cornerstone, the band's only US number one hit, Babe. And from Paradise Theatre, Rockin' the Paradise. we Again, that was Babe by Styx from their 1979 album Cornerstone, followed by Rockin' the Paradise from the Paradise Theater album, released in 1981. Now let's hear more of my chat with Dennis DeYoung. So uh, anyway, as Styx went along, your uh, your music and your stage shows became much more theatrical, a trend which you continued into your solo career. You even branched into acting. You played Pontius pilot in what... 200 stage performances of Jesus Christ Superstar. You recorded an album of Broadway standards and even wrote your own musical based on The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Do you uh, plan to do more acting or work in or write more musicals?
3: Honey, I told you I was busy. <laughs> um, no. I, uh, my acting days will be... I actually had a cameo in the uh, Adam Sandler, um... I'm not what I'm talking about, in a movie called *The Perfect Man*, where I played um, a singer in the sticks cover band. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> no, I've written, I've written two musicals, and um, *The Hunchback* is going to be. We're supposed to um, premiere in September in Milwaukee, uh, up there. But, um, <laughs> well, we all know what's going on. Yeah. So it's been put off, put off for a year. Yeah, I, um, I ended up in Broadway by accident. People think it was some sort of calculated move. It was not. Um, The theatricality of sticks came primarily from me and our lighting designer, Jeff Rabbits, who had a degree in theater from Northwestern. We were the ones that put our heads together and concocted um, by stealing some elements from theater to make the the show look more interesting to our audience. But really, I think a lot of that, um, I, I saw Alice Cooper in 73 or 74, we were on the road. And we got invited to the show because I think we are playing in that city the the next night. I had never seen him. And uh, I I looked at that show and I said, oh, my goodness, look what you could do. You know, we weren't going to do an Alice Cooper thing. But the idea that he brought these theatrical visuals to to a stage, I I found it um, very entertaining. And that's the point. I mean, if people want to hear your CD, they'll stay at home. Right. When they come, I always believed it was show business. That's it. Where's the show? So uh, Jeff and myself, R-A-V-I-T-Z, <clears throat> um, we, we brought all that stuff in. But really, at at the essence, <clears throat> when I look at the way pop acts are today, you talk about theatricality. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. You know? They had sets and props and costumes, 30 dancers, a piece. They got everything. And um, for us, you know, we were just trying to be, you know, because we were uh, very entertaining as a band live, and we just surrounded ourselves with things that would make the show more interesting. As far as Broadway goes, during a, a, a time, a hiatus to 1993, <clears throat> my brother-in-law, who I never met until I went to my to the wedding, he was the executive producer of that Jesus Christ Superstar tour. And he said to me, I want you to be Pontius conscious pilot in this production. I said, hey, hey buddy, Forbes, <clears throat> every six months or so you should empty your bong water. <laughs> so, But he was serious. And he kept pursuing me. And finally I said, you know, uh, what the hell? So I did it. And I was good at it. And while I was doing it in L.A., Danny Goldberg from Atlantic saw and asked me to make a Broadway album. Uh, I said, what? Yeah. So, and then while I'm touring in Superstar, I thought, well, look, you know, Broadway actors, they perform eight times a week. That's like, what? That's too much. Um, And so I thought, maybe I'd try to write one. But I always say, there is the misconception that I was a Broadway baby from the beginning even in sticks, and then that's how why I turned to it. That's just not true. I would say to all the people who talk to me about breaking into Broadway, I say, do what I did, get a brother-in-law who's a producer. <laughs> that's how it happened. It was all happens to him.
2: All right, yeah. But
3: I, I found out that I, I had a flair for acting. I, th- I found out I had a flair for writing these things. So I wrote The Hunchback, and then I was asked to write the score for 101 Dalmatians, a show that toured for about a year. Uh, ended up at Madison Square Garden in New York. So yeah, I have done it. But <clears throat> I, I, I essentially saw myself as a songwriter because I am a songwriter. And I thought, what's it like to write a song? You know, for a through story, which we touched on. Sticks did with Killwright, mm-hmm. but not really. You know, that was kind of a that was kind of a fake theatrical production. In that in in its essence it was a sticks concert and we dressed it up for the story and a couple two or three production numbers does that answer your question have you ever heard a longer-winded answer
2: no it's great uh yeah I mean I kind of had the impression maybe you were what you said you know always interested in that but uh not, you know just because of the theatricality of sticks at the end but uh
3: blame blame Alice Cooper and Jeff Rabbit
2: or or give them the credit you know uh,
3: yeah if you think if you think that the theatricality of sticks was a negative thing which some do very few well you know but i think it was the thing that separated us from all those rock bands of our, our peers of that period and uh, I'm very proud of what we did and what we accomplished.
2: Yeah, the Mister Roboto. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, my, you know, with the 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 whole, you know, the the film in the background and you know everything. Yeah, I remember it pretty well. It was uh, pretty fantastic. How old How old were you? Uh, I had actually you you were in town. It was my very first day of college at Pitt, and uh, the the the. the uh, oh, cool! Well,
3: you were older then. Yeah, yeah. you were older. Yeah. It was
2: nineteen eighty three. Yep. So, uh, yeah. And,
3: What did you you think when you saw it?
2: I thought it was fantastic. You know, I had a little, you know, my, let's say my consciousness was slightly altered, you know, by a little bit of uh, fun before the show. But, yeah, it was fantastic.
3: (laughs) Well, that's, we we insisted on all our people to be high when they came in.
2: They'll have more fun. (laughs) Well, I I qualified that night. (laughs)
3: Here's the deal. It started out. The Kilroy project started out for a way to get us on film. Our prior manager, who was foolish in every way, never allowed us to be go on TV. Didn't want us. He never allowed us to film any of our concerts. How forward thinking was this guy. No. So I he he quit the year before Kilroy, <clears throat> and I said, "Let's get ourselves on film. Let's do something different. Let's do something special." And it was always. First and foremost, something to see, an event. And it succeeded at every level as an event, which you can testify to. Mm-hmm. And I'd love you to write that in this story. I saw it. My mind was blown because basically it was. You went in there and said, what the hell is going on here? Despite what you took before you walked in.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'd uh, maybe seen maybe uh, a dozen concerts before that, but it was definitely unlike anything I had seen.
3: And that was the point. And so we did it, and we talked about the coming problem with technology. The problem's plain to see. Too much technology. Machines to save our lives. Machines dehumanize. And we talked about censorship, and we labeled our album with the sticker saying, you know, be careful, because the majority for the musical, rock, you know, we did all that's before PMRC. Mm-hmm. Did we get any credit? Did we get any credit from that from the rock press? No, not announced. But it was ahead of its time. And uh, uh, I've always told people, well, Dennis, they say, that's all ahead of its time. I said, listen, let me give you some advice. Don't be ahead of your time.
2: be <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Beyond time. Yeah, beyond time yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, your bank account will be bigger.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, You've been in and out of Sticks a few times. Do you think you'll ever work with Sticks again?
3: It's always been up to Tommy and JY, and it's not Styx, two guys. Chuck appears once in a while, bless his heart. John died. Mm-hmm. None of those people right now in Sticks have any claim to the name except for JY and Tommy. They replaced me in 1999 after two wildly successful comeback tours in 96 and 97 right i got sick in 98 we were making an album together and they wanted me to show up for a rehearsal for a tour which i was not well enough to do i said please give me six more months tommy and jy decided no they replaced me when i was sick that's the true story it had nothing to do with robots from 1983 it had nothing to do with um differences of opinion and musical style. It was all for the, those two guys to take control of the name. That's what happened. And the story that they told was not true. Oh. And to prove proof positive, three years ago, they started, as many times as they ran down Mr. Roboto, they are now playing it for the last three years in the first encore spot in their set.
2: Hmm. That was
3: did you, know, did you know that?
2: No, I did not, no. And uh, we're getting it straight here, aren't we?
3: Well, because uh, they have, you know, they have the bully pulpit. Tommy and J.Y. Uh, have control of the name. And I have the control of my name. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so there you go. Ask me anything you want, you will get the straight, truthful answer.
2: I appreciate your candor. So now let's touch on some of Dennis's solo career. He split from Styx for a time in the 80s, but later rejoined, and released three albums during this time away from the band. From his first solo album, I'm playing the title track, Desert Moon. i Desert Moon by Dennis DeYoung from his 1984 solo album of the same name. After the break, I'll have more music from Dennis DeYoung's solo career and more chat with the man himself. Don't go anywhere. Prague Watch will be right back.
1: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Let's continue on with a couple more from Dennis D. Young's solo career. Black Wall from his Back to the World album and Harry's Hands from his Boom Child album.
5: Ching! Store. on the ships from foreign shores, smaller cars and VCRs were here to stay, Eric, complacency, base and see. can't you see you killing me, the From the coffee shop See he never Wanted much Just the smallest place Somewhere He could call his own These United
2: Again, that was Black Wall by Dennis DeYoung from his 1986 solo album, Back to the World. And Harry's Hands from his 1988 follow-up called Boom Child. Now let's hear some more of my chat as Dennis and I talk about his new album, 26 East, Volume 1. Yeah, I want to talk about your new album. I think it's uh, really cool, 26 East, Volume 1. And uh, it has a lot of different feels to it. I, I found it interesting. There's... There's some uh, nostalgic songs that are uh, side by side with some pretty scathing social commentary. Um, Yes. So, uh, go ahead. Yeah. What would What would you like to tell us about your writing process? You know, what inspires you? You know, how do you write? Do you write words first or music? Or you know, I I always like to get into the nuts and bolts of this a little bit, because I'm I'm I write music and you know I, I. you know, I'm a failed musician, you know, so I'm always interested in this aspect, and I think a lot of my listeners are, too.
3: Well, I'm inspired by my mortgage payment.
2: Okay, yeah.
3: Um, I did not want to make this record. No? The music business has collapsed upon itself mm-hmm. because of greedy, stupid human beings who didn't understand... That the free exchange of music, while a boon for people, is the death knell for musicians. Mm-hmm. So I thought, where is the radio? The first song on my album, East of Midnight, I talk about how the radio was so important to my life and to the life of all the people who like sticks. We relied on the radio to tell us what to listen to. That's gone. Mm-hmm. With all due respect, right now, on the media's, media-based chart, which is an airplay chart in the United States, is number seven this week. And the number of stations that actually play rock music has dwindled to, to virtually nothing. Rock has died, as I have been saying, for the last 15 years. Not as a musical form, but as as a business, as a way to translate the ideas of the musicians to the public. And please don't give me the internet. That's too confusing, too big, and too overwhelming. The radio was key. And I, I thought when Jim Peterick and the president of Frontiers started coming to me and say I should make a new album, I said... This is, this is a, a pointless exercise because it's impossible to reach the audience. My audience, A, is older, and they're not talking to their high school friends or college friends about the latest album. They have lives and responsibilities. Surprise, surprise to them, because when they were 16, they weren't thinking about that. So I thought, I'm going to go through all this work because I, I produce the records, I record them a lot, I do the, in the writing, I mix them. That album you're listening to was mixed by me, by myself in a room, in my studio. I thought that's too much work not to have the opportunity to communicate with people because that's the only reason I would do this, to say this is my idea, what do you think of it? If that's taken away, I don't get it. I don't need the right. You know, I'm not saying I need the right to live. I don't feel that way. Um, So I did it reluctantly, but I'm so glad I did. Talked into it by Jim Peterick, my buddy who lives three blocks away, which is exactly why I live in a gated community, to keep his ass out of here. Uh, (laughs) So he said, the world needs your music. And I said, no, do they? Have them text me. Have the world text (laughs) me. I don't believe it. So I have been surprised by the response to the record, by the success that it's had pleasantly and by the reaction of people to the music um, I never saw it coming but it is in my heart and I'm so glad I made this record because it allowed me an opportunity to say goodbye to the fans who have given me this wonderful life I have lived and without that it, it would have been like you know uh, having the opportunity to thank the people who are most responsible but radio being the key I can still tell you there is no radio for rock music for the most part. Remember when you were a kid, you could listen to three, probably two or three stations. What was it? WDVE, was that what it was
2: called? What Absolutely. Was good. Yeah, good on you. You remember that. That's it. That's, they're still here. Yeah.
3: Yeah, but they're playing, they're playing, I lot. The playing and come say, playing
2: any new. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's my gripe with a lot of it. You know, classic rock, it's like, okay, we're going to play Yes. Uh, okay, we're going to hear Owner of a Lonely Heart, and that's it. You know, uh, th- there are a few stations around here that, that are still playing some neat stuff. Uh, they're, they're a little out of my, you know, I don't always get them well signal-wise. But, you know, I'll hear some depth. You know, I'll hear some yes or some sticks or whatever. It, it's deeper than, and I, I really like that. I gravitate to it. I, I love the old yeah. album-oriented radio, which, you, yeah, like you said, is gone. gone. Is it's gone, I, yeah.
3: Yeah. And, and without it, what am I doing? I might as well sit on my balcony and start playing to my neighbors. I mean, it's foolishness. That's what happened, to, I guess, as far as I can tell. The public has spoken. They've had it with rock music. All the young kids, you know, all the young, dare I say, all the young white kids, who for the most part were the ones that bought this music, uh, they turned to rap and pop. And I think maybe they, they they see rock as something that's old-fashioned. Not all of them, but an awful lot of them. So I thought, why would I do this? And so I was tricked. <laughs> And, I, and I, t- Peter Rick used to sneak into my house late at night and leave subliminal messages on my answering machine. So <laughs> I did it. I thought I did it. I'm very proud of the work. There's lots of styles on here. But fundamentally, most of the stuff harkens, harkens back to my, my sticks root, roots, wouldn't you say?
2: Absolutely, yeah. Sounds great. I, I really like I mean, you, you really... Uh uh, what is it? The the one uh, with all due respect is is that what it's called? The second second. It's time? coming
3: up. It's number it's number seven in the United States. on Those rock station who still play it, and it's the video comes Wednesday, baby. Wait till you see it.
2: It's great. It's Wait a great song. Till yeah. You see it. It's uh. Isn't it great? Stay
3: it Here's that. I want you to do the test. with all due respect. Your turn.
2: You are an asshole. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> not you, Dennis. I'm, I'm 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 repeating the lyric for the listeners who may not have heard it yet.
3: <laughs> I know that. I know that. And listen, if I, everybody I know in, in my organization, including the people I love and rely on, including Pete Jimmerick, as I call him sometimes, they were afraid of this song. When I wrote that hook, I said, I'm doing that song. Jim said, oh, Dan, oh, I don't know, I don't think this is, this is not, we shouldn't, I said, Jim, uh, we're doing it, now do me a favor and go write a killer riff, God damn you, which he did, and off we went, and I placed it second, you know, East of Midnight is there because it's, it's, this is autobiographical, Mm -hmm. with some nods to current events, which is what I've always done, and it's second for a reason, After we give all the Six fans who are hungry for 1977, I know they are, Mm -hmm. uh, and you got East of Midnight. Well, damn it! If you don't like that, then you don't like Six, correct?
2: Right. Yeah. The next one.
3: The next. The next one is me saying what I want to say right now to an American public who I believe need to hear this articulated. Yeah. In the most vociferous way. If you want nuance, listen to the Kingdom of Blaze, the next song. That's metaphor and nuance. With all due respect, it's literal and get the hell out of the way.
2: Yep, everything's fake. It can make you believe anything. You know, you really it's it's amazing. Uh so nineteen eighty four ish, really.
3: The news media has decided they're going to chase the almighty dollar, regardless of what it does to the fabric of our society and the well-being of our country. They're only interested in political theater that takes opposites, puts them in a wrestling ring and has them go out. And get it. I don't believe the American public is as, is as divided as the constant barrage of nonsense from both the left and the right give us on a daily basis.
2: No, I agree. They, are
3: ruining, they are ruining our country. And you know why you like the song? How many times you've looked at the TV and left people saying shit you go, with all due respect, you're an asshole.
2: Yeah, yeah
3: now let's all say it together let's (laughs) all say it together
2: (laughs) it would be nice it would be nice now let's hear the song that dennis and i were talking about at length in that interview segment with all due respect from his new 26 east volume one album Talk, talk, yadda, blah, blah,
5: woof, woof. Talk, talk, yadda, blah,
3: blah, woof. Fake news, talk, talk, fake facts. New days, talk, talk, catty, new Alaska. hacks. Fake, fake truth, catty, fake lies. <laughs> <inaudible> Guess talk, what? Folk. Surprise! <inaudible> fake fun, fake facts. <inaudible> hey, look, talk, talk, catty, new tax.
5: <laughs> fake red, catty,
3: fake blue. <inaudible> <inaudible> fake fancy. me. Well, fake you. You, you, you.
5: A show. They got the answer these puddings do. In ruby red and royal blue. Oh no! Watch out these condescendent. Oh, no. i don't they show no plenty oh, no. They remind us night and day. But should I? Thank yeah.
2: With all due respect, Dennis DeYoung pulling no punches on that one from his brand new album, 26 East, Volume 1. So I hope you guys enjoyed the program. I'm going to do something I don't usually do when I'm doing two parts on an artist. I'm going to come right back next week with Part 2 of my coverage of Dennis DeYoung. We'll hear the rest of my interesting and spirited chat with this rock legend, more great Styx music, and more of Dennis's solo stuff, including a few more from his great new album, 26 East, Volume 1. I hope you will join us. Until that time, be well and prog on, my brothers and sisters.
4: Them in a swamp down in Dagobah, where it bubbles all the time like a giant carbonated soda. S O D A I saw the little Runt sitting there on a log. I asked him his name, and in a raspy voice he said Yoda. Y O D A Yoda. yoda. and green on my own. If you start to go astray, let the Force be your guide, oh my Yoda Yo, 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 Yoda I know Darth Vader's really got you annoyed But remember if you kill him, then you'll be unemployed, oh my Yoda (laughs)
5: Ha, <laughs>